Good morning, church family. Take your Bibles and turn them to Psalm 57. We'll get started with the sermon in just a moment. I was expressing thankfulness to a couple of people. I want to also thank, I've done this multiple times, but just to say it again, your deacons, our deacons, uh, they're here usually before most of us are, and they make sure the place is ready, and we're grateful for that. And many days you show up and you might see a piece of trash around the property, but sometimes uh, you have no clue um, just how trashed the property can get. We had a storm last night, heavy winds, and everything I think that wasn't bolted down on the construction site blew into our yard. But you didn't see that this morning because these faithful men show up and just get it done. Now, I'm not going to single Jeremy out, but I just want to say thank you <laughs> to the deacons uh, that get some things done. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, Jeremy read that passage this morning. I love it, and we're going to take our time with it today. Psalm 57. He mentioned to me coming in, he said, I know why you're doing what you're doing. I appreciate that. I don't want to betray our confidence there, but he said, I know why you're doing what you're doing. He said, the world's crazy. He said, I know. And John's gospel is a timely word, but man, when Oscar just uh, kind of took us to Psalm 42. Again, I, I, if you saw the video, you know I wanted to do some Psalms this summer and just felt constrained a different way, but I felt a green light from the God of heaven to spend a couple weeks in the Psalms. Today's no exception, Psalm uh, 57. I, I want you to think about your days this week and think about uh, maybe even this month, and let me ask you a question. I wonder if you ask yourself, when was it the easiest or where was it the easiest for me to worship the Lord over the last 30 days? Where do I sense as a Christian that I, quote, glorified God the most? Think about that. Because if you listen to folks, people say, well, you don't have to go to church to worship. Okay. That's true. There's a lot of things we can do that worship, right? You don't have to be a part of a church body. I don't know why I'm going to this voice. Just bear with me. You don't have to be a part of a church body to get something out of the Bible. Well, that's true. That's true. But you're setting yourself up at a tremendous disadvantage. And if you persist in that way, you're walking in disobedience to much of the New Testament. But how did you glorify God? Where was your sweet spot over the last 30 days? I mean, what does that even mean to glorify God? I mean, that Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's the first confession of that. That's like, yes, that sounds good. That sounds Christian-y. That might go on a t-shirt or a bracelet. And you're like, what does it mean to glorify God? You go like, be nice to people? I don't know. Like, what do I do with that? John Piper writes, man was created from the beginning in God's image that he might image forth God's glory. Think about it. We were created to multiply and fill the earth so that the knowledge of the glory of God, the Bible says, would cover the seas. Amazing. Ever since the fall of man into sin, everything that God has done, as we read the Bible, has been to get man back in a place to glorify God. Think about all of the Old Testament narrative that points to Christ, the, the only sufficiency. 
But it's not just Old Testament Israel that was called to live lives that pointed to God. That command includes us too. The New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Jesus would share in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Living our lives, giving our hearts, using our voices in line with how God formed us, this is how humanity glorifies this good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God. And He is a good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God. So where did you do that best this past month? Where are you at a place where you begin to fade and God begins to shine the brightest. I know for some in this room, it's uh, at the closest thing to the gates of hell, this side of eternity. We see the light shining brightest in darkest places, in an evangelistic way, in a life-saving way, in a standing in the gap kind of way for the vulnerable and the voiceless. Those contending for life at some of the abortion mills around town, I know that. Some of you standing true and firm and shining bright on your job. Some of you working in the home in a way on your job at home to glorify God in all that you do. It's awesome. But can I just tell you that if you struggle to be all in at a setting like this on a Sunday morning, we've got issues. If you're struggling to pray when the family of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb, is praying together, if you're struggling in a place like this, that's, that's a challenge. If we're struggling to sing in a place like this, where one another are singing and voices are drowning out maybe your flat notes or sharp notes, nobody's trying to get you on a tour bus here. We're just trying to make a joyful noise to the Lord. If you struggle to sing here, I doubt you sing other places. In a setting like this, if you're struggling to lean into God's word when it's the centerpiece of our gathering on a Sunday morning to point us to Christ, if you're struggling to lean in on a Sunday morning, I doubt you're leaning in when it's tough throughout the week when you're leaving this place. Some of you even now are scrolling, trying to find something to take your mind off the present. You're not engaged. I'm praying that you'd engage this morning. This is life and death. If you find it easy to focus on your wants and desires more than God's goodness in a place like this with the people of God, then we're probably setting ourselves up to struggle in what you and I refer to as the real world outside. Glorifying God means, let me give you a definition. It means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that make much of God and that reflect His greatness and leave us satisfied with his perfections. I'm going to leave that up for just a moment. There are better definitions. Trust me. I mean, I'm sure I can just hear some of the uh, great fathers of the faith looking at me going, you left out about 19 paragraphs there. I'm like, yes, but we want to get out of here before it's 97 degrees. So glorifying God. Think about it. It's more than this, but it's at least this, isn't it? Look at it. Feeling, thinking, acting in ways that make much of God, that reflect His greatness, and leave us, boy, here's a word, 
satisfied with his perfections. The reason we should glorify God in everything is that God himself glorifies God in everything. If we allow him to work in us and to have complete control over our lives or at least to move us in that direction so that we lean away from our own sinful, selfish desires and and we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we will recognize that this is God's path for our lives, it will change our whole perspective on everything. You'll have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. You'll begin to view tribulations and trials and problems Differently, you'll think through hard times. Differently, you'll think through hard people. Any of you got hard people in your life? You'll begin to see that God may have surgically planted that hard person in your life to do a work in you for His glory. You didn't get a check, no thanks on that box, I know. But that's the way He works. He loves for us to die to self so we can make much of Him. We view trouble and trial differently when we are in Christ. We can sing along with Paul from Philippians 4. I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is not about having a good day at the gym or a good day at work. It's about knowing that God himself wants you to glorify him whether you're up on the mountain or you've lost everything. We can do all things because all things are for his glory. So we come to our text this morning Let your glory be all over all the earth. Be merciful, he says. We come to the text this morning and find David writing this song by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's not in a sweet spot. He's not in a congregation. He's not in an easy place to worship. He's not in the palace. He's not in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. He's not in the temple. No, David is hiding in a cave with the Philistines hot on his trail. And Saul, crazy Saul, still can't figure out whether to kill him or to promote him. David, surrounded by his enemies again, yet in the midst of that cave, sings a song that glorifies God. And the Lord has him recorded in a way that shows us a path to giving God glory. The first direction the Lord gives us through this song, if you're taking notes this morning, by the way, that's a subliminal message to take notes this morning. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I'd write down is take refuge. Take refuge. You want to glorify God? God's going to point us to where we need to take refuge. I don't know if your life seems like it's spinning out of control, or, but I bet you know someone whose life fits that description. But I bet I know this. There's stuff going on you can't explain. And sometimes you feel the pressure of things encroaching about you. You may not have two armies coming after you, but sometimes we need to take refuge. The question is, where do you take refuge? What do you run to when the press is on? Let's look at the text together and see where David runs and where the Lord would have us run. Be merciful to me, verse 1. Oh God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. Wow. In you, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass 
by. Verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. In just a few words, at the very beginning of the song, David gets right down to it. You don't take refuge unless you admit that you're in trouble. He's admitting, I'm in trouble. I have a need I can't meet. I need help, and I know where to go. He runs to the Lord. He says, Lord, you are my refuge. You are my protection. You're the place. You're the one that I flee to. He knows that there is a real threat. Look at what it says. It says, till the storms of destruction pass by. He would have written this in modern days. He may have uh, given a footnote to that hymn that many of us know, till the storm passes by. In the dark of the midnight have I oft hit my face, while the storms howl above me and there's no hiding place. Midst the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. You know it, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast. Let me stand in the hollow of your hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. See, after David was delivered from Gath, if you follow the narrative of David in 1 Samuel, he fled for protection in the cave of Adullam. Later, he moved to another cave. He was a caveman. I don't know if you knew that. David was a caveman. Later, he moves to another cave in in Gedi, Samuel 24, we see that. He writes Psalm 124 from there as well. David was on the run because it's where he had to be. Let me tell you something. David knew it was better to be in the will of God in a cave than out of the will of God in the palace. For some of you, your affections, and for some of us, all of us are struggling at times for where we put our affections. And some of us want prestige or, or power or plenty or whatever it is that promote whatever it is that's enticing us to compromise on what we know to be true. I'm telling you something. There is no better place in this life than in the center of the will of God where you are running to him and your affections are on him. This psalm covers a day in the life of David. What song would cover a day in the life of you in recent days? I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. Or, I did it my way. Now, I did go to the Billboard Top 100 chart to see if I could quote something from this century, but I gotta tell you, there was so much filth and trash on there, I didn't want to invoke any of those lyrics into your brain. David knows he's in trouble. David knows the only one he can run to. He uses two words for God here. You see it there when he says, oh God, that's Elohim. It's just kind of this beautiful, big name for God that catches kind of a catch-all for God. It's a wonderful name, Elohim. And then he says, God most high, Elohim. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. He's the most high. There's nothing higher. It's a superlative uh, that he wasn't elected to win in high school as he's graduating. It's a superlative that he deserves because he's God all by himself. The God of this Bible is not some out-of-touch cosmic bellhop. 
He, he is the Lord who reigns, like we talked about last week. He is working all things for His glory and for your good if you are in Christ this morning. God will fulfill His purpose for you. Lean into Him. Don't resist Him. Worship the Lord like He's worthy, because He is. Love the Lord like you need Him, because you do. Run to Him like He's the only one that can do anything for you, because He is. Take refuge in Him, not pop culture. Take refuge in the Lord, not your friends first. Take refuge in the Lord, not your therapist first. Take refuge in the Lord, not your finances. Take refuge in the Lord, not your family. Take refuge in the Lord, not yourself. Take refuge in Him. It's one thing to run to the Lord when you're in trouble. And David does that, and it's good for us to know that. It's another thing to linger there. And trust God. Second point this morning, trust the Savior. Trust the Savior. David will identify the Lord here in the Old Testament text, in this psalm, as the only one who saves. It's so beautiful. Trust the Savior. You say, that sounds evangelistic. I'm already saved. This doesn't apply to me. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. This is our life. You know what would bring me great joy as your pastor and your brother in Christ? For us to acknowledge, not because of some sermon preached or because of some great trial or tragedy, but just because of our affection for him. It was normal. I want it to be normal for us to not get one foot out of bed until we recognize, Lord, we need you. We need you. More than anything else today, more than I need anything to go right, I need you. And I want to linger in your presence. Trust the Savior. He alone is the Savior. David is not pretending here that his life is free from trouble. David is not denying reality, but he's also not nursing his despair. Now, I know nobody in here nurses their despair. I'm not talking about any of you, but have you met these folks that just can't get past the thing? Ashley and I heard something recently, and it's, it's been so convicting, and I've, I have to tell it to myself regularly, but we heard in this um, talk, and I've forgotten the source, babe, but the, um, this fella said he got home from his day. He was in ministry. His wife said, how was your day? He said, it was a bad day. It was a really bad day. She said, it was a bad day? The whole day was bad? Every moment of the day was bad? He's like, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, it was not a good day. He said, as I reflected, it wasn't that I had a bad day. He said, I had a bad five minutes because of an email that I nursed all day and let ruin everything I touched, everybody I interacted with. Again, none of you have ever done that, but that may help your friend that we were praying for earlier that you can encourage this week. David's not pretending his life is free. He's not denying reality, but he's not nursing his despair. God is the victor, he says, and I'm going to trust him. Look at what he says in verse 3. He will send from heaven and save me. He identifies him as the Savior. He's saying he will come. He will save. He's going to put the enemy to shame. He's going to love. He's going to be faithful. This is our God. Why would you want to linger anywhere else? Nothing else can deliver on a promise like that in this life. In verse 4, after talking about who God is and what God's going to send, in verse 4, he says what's going on in his life. Look at it. 
My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He's basically saying, I'm surrounded by people who are acting like animals. I'm being wounded by words of those close by. It's not good and it's getting worse. Verse 5, he says, but you are exalted. I'm low. These people are low, but you are exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I want to see your glory everywhere. There's enemy everywhere, but I want to see your glory everywhere. Verse 6, he says, they've set a trap. Do you see it? They set a net for my steps, but my soul was bowed down. He's saying, they've set a trap for me, but I was just humbly serving you. These, these people set a trap for me. I wasn't, I wasn't aggravating them, except that I was serving you. They dug a pit, but fell into it themselves. Verse 7, he cries out even louder. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. You know, it dawns on me that for Christians, leave that verse up. It dawns on me that for many of us, we don't say a lot of scripture out loud throughout the week. Sometimes Sunday's the only time we say scripture out loud. So here's a great one to memorize and to say out loud together. Would you join me? Let's say this one out loud. It's on the screen. Psalm 57, 7. Ready? My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. I tell you, I'll, I'll get you a gold star you can put on your wall if you'll memorize this whole chapter. This whole chapter will do more for your soul in a hard place than just about anything else you could run to. Where are you leaning today? Where do you linger in your despair? Do you linger in your despair or do you linger with your deliverer? Spend time with the Lord is our confidence in ourselves? Do we think more highly of ourselves than we should? Do you know that the things that we don't pray about, you know what we're telling God when we don't pray about matters, when we don't take it to the Lord in prayer, we're saying, I'm in total control of this and I don't need you in this area of my life. I'd like to meet you. And for you to say that with eyes wide open to me, eyeball to eyeball, that you have that much power and confidence in yourself. I've had to come to grips with this in my own life in recent days. Our boast should be in the Lord. The Bible says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Galatians 6, Paul writes, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Another song that popped into my head this morning. I think Dottie Rambo wrote it. I boast not of works, nor tell of good deeds, for naught have I done to merit God's grace. All glory and praise shall rest upon him so willing to die in my place. My trophies and crowns, my robe stained with sin was all that I had to lay at his feet. Unworthy to eat at the table of life, but God's love made provision for me. I will glory in the cross. I will glory in the cross. I'm sure of this. He who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's not the close of the sermon, but as we think about lingering here, before we hit that third and final point, I want to prayerfully, if we could just talk to God for a moment. God, 
Help us to cling to Christ today. Help us to cling to Christ for life, for righteousness, for the joy that we so desperately need, for the purpose that you've called us to. Lord, in in other words, help me to trust your word. Help me to abide in you. Help me to be able to say, my heart is confident, God. My heart is confident because of who you are. Lord, we want to trust you in such a way that we feel and think and speak and act in ways that make much of you. Lord, we want to trust you today in a way that reflects that we are completely satisfied with you, that you are perfect, that you are great, and greatly to be praised. God, we want to glorify you today as our refuge and our rock in a weary land. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. According to the Bible, these things are the essence to what it means to live a life that glorifies God. David here has called us. He's sung to us. We hear him singing. He's called us to take refuge in him. We're called to trust him as Savior. And in the last section of this psalm, he calls us to wake up and make him known. If you're taking notes this morning, hand, wink. Third thing to write down is tell everyone. Tell everyone. Now you'll notice the reference there is 7 through 11. We've just read verse 7. I'm going to put verses 8 through 11 on the screen because I just can't get enough of it. You sound so good. And I wonder if you'd read along out loud with me. You can use your Bibles or read what's on the screen. It's just a, just a handful of verses. Let's read them together. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Wow. Wake up. Wake up my heart and my whole being, God. I want to wake up the dawn, not the dawn wake me up, and I want to wake it up with a song of His faithfulness. (coughs) Judaism and Christianity are two of the only singing religions. Atheism is songless. It has nothing to sing about. The funeral notices of Robert Ingersoll, who identified as an atheist, but was probably more accurately an agnostic, stated there will be no singing at the funeral services. The psalm singing of Christian martyrs going to their deaths in the arena alerted the Roman Empire to the fact that a new and revolutionary force was coming into being. When the pleasure-bent populace saw the Christians singing as they fearlessly entered the amphitheater where hungry lions awaited them, the people were filled with awe and wonder. Heaven is alive with singing. As they sing the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb, the Bible tells us in Revelation 15. You may not sing perfectly as far as the notes go, but we've got some great words to sing, don't we? We serve a God who gave us a songbook in his word. And and here David says, I'm going to, he's in a cave not knowing if he's going to get out alive. And you know what he says? I I, I want everybody to know. 
Who does that? Right? You're in there. You've got the Philistines coming after you. You've got a king who's lost his mind. He's going, I, I want everybody to know. I I'm going to sing to all the nations. All the nations. You've got two pitted against you. Everybody that will listen. I'm going to tell everybody anywhere that will listen that our God is good. That he's faithful. I'm going to sing among all the people. Isolation and private worship is not recommended from this psalm. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. You should sing in your closet. You should sing when nobody else is around. But there's a call, and lots of them in the New Testament, for some one another's. And you can't do the one another's without one another. I've been waiting all week to say that. That's my pithy saying for the sermon. I'm going to sing among the nations. This is not just for us four and no more. It's not just for a closed building gathering on a Sunday morning. We're going to sing everywhere that we can. We're going to be thankful. We're going to use this mouth that God gave us, not to sound like the world, not to for unwholesome talk, as the Bible clearly identifies in the Old and New Testament, but we're going to use our lips to publish to the world that our God reigns, and He is good, and He is holy, and He is sovereign, and He is perfect, and He's in charge, and we belong to Him. Let the church say amen. amen. We're going to sing among the nations. Here's a charge for all of us to make Jesus famous among the nations. Five of your Grace Covenant family members are going to Brazil in a couple of months to, to try to make Jesus famous among those that don't yet know Him perfectly. You can touch the nations in so many ways through the local church, yes. But outside the walls of these buildings, are you aware that Charlotte is drawing the nations? You probably have neighbors that aren't like you, that are from somewhere other than this zip code, maybe even this state, maybe even another country. How are we engaging the nations around us? There's so many ways that we can impact others, but we have a charge to do that even as we worship God. We're going to tell everyone everywhere that God's unfailing love is high as the highest heavens, that God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds. There is no one like our God. David runs to the Lord because he knows he's in trouble and God is his only hope. David stays in God's presence because he knows God is a trustworthy Savior. And David wants to tell everyone everywhere about this good, holy, sovereign, and perfect God who saves to the uttermost, who loves with all of his resources, who puts the enemy of our soul to shame with the power of his might, and who is worthy of our worship and lives. Praise God. As Julia comes this morning, look at that last verse. It showed up earlier in the text as well. Verse 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. If you're like me, you look at that and you think about how big God is and how big God's glory is. But let me bring it down personal to you and say, Lord, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth and start with me. Friend, if you're here this morning, and you've never really seen your need for a savior, then you've never run to him as a refuge. But maybe today, maybe today, you see a need. 
Maybe today, not just because you're having a bad week or you had a bad day, but you're recognizing your own sinful, selfish desires are actually the enemies hunting you down. They're the enemies of your soul. Run to Jesus for refuge this morning. He will be your refuge. He came. And the volume of the Old Testament scriptures foretold that he would, and he came just like they said they would. Nobody was born like this. He was born of a virgin. Nobody ever lived like this. He lived a sinless, spotless life in complete obedience and unbroken fellowship to the Father. Nobody ever existed like this, truly God and truly man. Nobody ever died like this, innocent of any real crime, but guilty of love in the first degree. He hung, bled, and died on a criminal's cross. God saw fit to lay the sins of the entire world on Jesus that day. He became the sacrificial lamb bearing the sin and the shame of all who would trust him and believe. Nobody ever resurrected like this. After three days in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, God said it was enough. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose the victor, then ascended to heaven after he was seen by some 500 people alive after the resurrection. Now he's seated on his throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords praying for you to glorify him. He alone is qualified to be your refuge. You have a problem. It's sin and it will destroy you. Run to Jesus. Trust Him as Savior, and then tell everybody everywhere about it. Well, that's to those of you that don't know Him. To my brother or sister this morning, where do you run when life is crazy? Where do you run and linger if it's not to God, if it's not to His Word, if it's not through prayer? I've come to warmly, tenderly, and lovingly tell you something. Stop it. Stop it. Stop running to friends first. Run to Jesus. Stop running to family first. Run to Jesus. Stop running to social media ever. Run to Jesus. He alone is our refuge. He is our Savior. And He is worthy of our song to the nations. Let's pray. in ways that make much of you. 
Remold our minds from within so that we can reflect your greatness more naturally. Keep us in your word and on our knees until we get up satisfied that you are perfect and we don't need a thing from this world. Lord, you alone are the ultimate, the absolute, the all-pervasive reason for being. You are our everything according to your word. Help us to live like it, God. I pray that this family would be desperate to give you the glory that you so rightfully deserve. By your power alone, we ask these things. In Christ's name, amen.